Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. We've heard much over the last year about the concepts of resilience and perseverance, and I think these apply to those of us in the lab as well. My guest today is Bami Ferenre. Bami is a biomedical scientist and operational lead in virology. Today, we'll hear some examples of how she's used perseverance throughout her career. We'll talk about some ways that we can develop resilience in the lab, and then we'll hear about what it's like to work in virology during a pandemic. All right, here's Bami Farinray. You became interested in science at a very young age, and I'd like to hear the story about that. How, who inspired your interest in science? Well, um, I think my inspiration stemmed from having uh, quite a lot of uh, scientists, can I say, or people that are within the healthcare in my family. So we have like doctors, pharmacists. My mom was an auxiliary nurse in the um, community where we were, where I grew up. But aside from that, I mean, I didn't have much understanding of what um, science was all about too much in, in much detail. But I remember my grandma always used to take me to graduation ceremonies. And then while she wasn't educated, she always wanted us to, you know, aspire to be great. And then she understood the importance of graduating. It's like much like a of an accomplishment, you would say. So from then on, I thought, okay, I think I can actually work in this area of science, and especially when it looks up looking after people. And I made up my mind I wanted to be a pharmacist actually. And um, yeah, and then that was just about it. I didn't make up my mind what area of science I was going to go into, but then I knew that I actually wanted something to do with science or it means like helping people. I thought maybe I'll be able to probably go into pharmacy, like I said, and just treating people for any ailment because I understand like when we're younger, so we had a community pharmacist that that's where we usually tend to go to. Where I grew up, we didn't have like, uh, you know, local GPs where you could easily go to and they look after you. We tend to go to the pharmacy where they prescribe you. They ask you what your symptoms are and then they tend to prescribe, uh, you know, medicines according to whatever symptoms you're experiencing at that point in time. Your grandmother, was she a, a teacher? Is that why she took you to graduation ceremonies? No, that's funny. She wasn't. She she oh. she wasn't even educated, but... She made sure that, you know, uh, she supported my parents through school, my dad, my grandma. So that was my, from my dad's side. So she, she ensured that she, she sponsored my dad, you know, through education and um, that he was, that he finished school and the same with us, the grandkids as well, especially me being the firstborn. She always said to me, you know what, you're going to be great. And especially when they have graduations, they see it as something massive. If you graduate, <laughs> you know, that kind of community, you know, the, that community mm, yeah. you graduate is a big thing. And, and, you know, you go through school and then you finish. It's it's a massive accomplishment for the community. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like she really had an influence in you. And not only to, to, to finish, to graduate, but to like would you say part of like the struggle or the yeah i guess the struggle is the right word of of going through a program like that was that something she sort of influenced you in that way yeah you, you know you could say that you know that was where i learned uh 
when you persevere in something, especially when you're like, well, I want to give up, you know, he was always there encouraging us to to be the best that we can, really. Of course, with my parents as well, but she was more like, because I lived with, with her for some years, so she, she was an influence on me. While she didn't understand at all how the world of science is, Mm-hmm. You know, she, she was a, you could say, a pillar of support. You went on to then study biomedical science. Mm-hmm. Was this was this after you left the, the pharmacy program? Well, so the, me going on to study biomedical science, I would say, was like a chance. It was by chance. So, like I said, I wanted to study pharmacy. So when I went to uh, college, uh, my first year in college, I, I felt like, woefully like I didn't because I studied all science um subjects and I remember then my lecturer then said to me she said I don't think you should bother going to college or continuing with science just go and find something else to do go and find a trade or something and that really broke me but once I got yeah. the initial because I said you're supposed to be a teacher supporting and encouraging students to continue you know, but uh, I mean, that that really got me, it got me down, but then I thought oh, maybe so, maybe pharmacy is in for me then, because that was my first year of college. So what I did was um, I applied to another college to still, you know, pursue the subjects that I wanted to do in science, we call it A-levels. And so I went on to do further A-levels, but this time around I decided to do the vocational, it's called AVC science, it's more vocational than straight A-levels. So, um, yeah, so when I did that as well, when I finished, I, just, I still didn't get the grades I needed to do pharmacy. And so I thought, what am I going to do? I still applied. I still applied to do pharmacy because you could still go through clearing. But the university that I wanted to go to, then they didn't take me on. So then I said, you know, what could I do? That was when then the opportunity. So I rallied around and I spoke to some uh, teachers and course leaders and they told me that you could go for clearing. So I actually went through clearing and did HND applied biology before I wanted to do my biomedical science. So the way it was the HND applied biology was two years. And then by the time I was done, it was like more or less like a vocational one as well. You is is more like a um college based style learning. So you have more support and you get more um help from the teachers for you to ensure that you get the best grade possible. And by the third year, I was able to join those that were on the biomedical science degree and we graduated together. So to me, he worked out even better. That was how I came to start studying biomedical science. And I haven't turned back since then. That's kind of a sort of a roundabout kind of path, which I think a, a lot of people, you know, definitely in lab careers, they they certainly had that. I know I know, I did. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me about the biomedical science program then. What was... What about it did you find it the most interesting? Well, um, you know, just thinking back to it, I thought if I'd gone straight directly to the biomedical science degree, I probably would have struggled. So the two years spent on the applied science biology actually helped me, prepared me with regards to the coursework, the, the teaching style, all the different topics. I enjoyed it. Like It was like a competition. You like throughout I got distinctions in all the subjects and these are not just this so this included histopathology immunology biochemistry biotechnology you know all arms of science was you know 
within the applied science. So by the time I got onto my third year for the biomedical science degree, it was much more easier for me. I found it easier because then those ones you go to like, you know, big lecture rooms where you're on your own more or less, you just make sure you do your work. But that, that two years that I had, prepared me for that and I, I really enjoyed it that was where I thought well you know this could be that's where I was then uh, you know I had the exposure to the sort of careers that were available to me even then still I wasn't still sure what would happen I didn't I wasn't very much prepared for the world of work because we just thought oh once you finish you're able to get job immediately but it wasn't like that but it was that's where that you know I was grounded more in in the um, in the field of biomedical science. Then you worked for a while as a medical laboratory assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you can you tell me about that time? What did you enjoy about? Well, first, what? So, what were your kind of your general job duties, and then what what did you enjoy about this role? So, um, the way it works when you study biomedical science is that once you finish, you have to secure a trainee position. Because you have to be registered, you have to have your pin. It's just like the doctors where they have their pin and the nurses. So we have to have HCPC registration before we're able to practice as a biomedical scientist. But okay. I wasn't able to secure that immediately. No, you know, it took me just I think two, nearly two years after graduation before I was even able to secure a laboratory um, medical lab assistant role. But that was, it was life-changing because that was where I had most of my laboratory training. So even though most of my duties was like preparing the labs and, you know, preparing reagents and just helping the bio, the qualified scientists to do their work. So just doing the groundwork, making sure that the equipment are maintained, doing record logs and, um, you know, um, blood separation and just making sure that different samples go to the right department. Those are more and a lot of admin work as well. So like, you know, booking in the samples, making sure that patient details are correct, they match the samples I've been sent in. So that was where I got my ground. So that was my starting point to a career in uh, biomedical science. And it was interesting because I was able to do be in two different disciplines, microbiology and biology at the same time. What about the, the clinical microbiology? Because you went on and got a, a master's in, in clinical microbiology. Mm-hmm. So what was it that drew you then to, to micro? Well, so I would say a lot of my background is in microbiology. While I was at uni, I thoroughly enjoyed microbiology. I just love the way, you know, when we played out things, you were able to go things on egg and actually physically see what you're working with, doing the gram things and things like that. So I was fascinated by by micro right from uni that even when I did my um, project, our project was into fecal um, source tracking. So looking into water, um, like um, seaweed and things like that, looking for bacteriophages. Then on then, the MSc was more or less like a continuation and start to, for me to be able to practice at advanced level. So that was to give me the ground, the, the, of course, the theory aspect of the work that I'm doing. Because as, a, as of the time when I went to do my MSc, I was already working as a, a qualified biomedical scientist in the lab. And so already doing all the testing, doing all the laboratory work, and then just working safely in the in the lab. So the MSc was just to 
gain more knowledge and just to be up to date with any sort of advancements within the microbiology discipline. Can you tell me about your, because you have a specialist diploma in virology. Mm-hmm. Now, is that in addition to the MSc or how, do, how does that work? Yes. Yeah, so while I was in my MSc in clinical microbiology, at the same time, I was in my specialist portfolio. The, so the specialist portfolio is um, more or less, it gives you an edge to with regards to your progression and your practice as a, a specialist in a specific field, which is virology. So it tells you more about the techniques, just more at advanced level for us to be able to work autonomously without supervision and being able to then train others as well. Just know more about the virology itself as a discipline. So that was what the, and the specialist diploma was um, offered by a, a professional body, the IBMS. And so I was able to actually complete both the specialists and my clinical MSc at the same time. And then it wasn't long after that that I did my higher specialist as well, which is much more advanced that allows you to um, probably secure a senior role as probably like a laboratory manager or a senior um, scientist. So it seems like you're you're sort of constantly looking for ways to advance to to gain more knowledge and improve your uh, your career is that is that something that kind of drives you oh yeah like you know i always like to be in the know like okay what's me what can we do how can i improve myself you know continuous professional development such an advocate for that it motivates me you know to see okay what i'm learning and in the lab how is it how can i apply it or there's something new within the discipline within the um, laboratory medicine or pathology as a whole how can i then incorporate that and then use that to further advance you know in my knowledge and expertise what is it like working in virology during the covid19 pandemic you know like how did how did your your work day change Mm, well, as you all know, like <laughs> the impact of COVID-19 is still here. Yeah, it was challenging. You know, I mean, working in virology as a discipline is usually like a, it's a full-on role, like actively busy, you know, from the start of the day to the end of it, you know, with changing um, timelines with regards to the turnaround times for, to, for us to um, re- release results to patients. You know, I worked in a hospital laboratory where we have the patients on site and then, you know, the samples coming in very regularly and um, we having to actually test the samples and make sure that they're accurate, of course, and valid before we're able to release them to the patients. So, and then working during COVID, we, you know, our the way we work, we had to change. It changed so rapidly with regards to how we have to um, ramp up testing, especially for COVID samples, where we had to prioritize. And most of the time, we having to even discontinue some of our services so that we're able to cope with the COVID sample testing. Typical day, you know, every day is not the same. Like situations are changing like rapidly every hour, more or less. And workload it fluctuates. One minute, you know, one day you could have like a massive jump in your um, workload, and the next day it might not be as much. It depends on how many people are actually, you know, going into those testing centers uh, for them to give their samples, and then by the time it comes to the lab for us to do the um, testing for them to release the results as well. It required like adaptability, being able to adapt, you know, the short period, you know, short notice, resilience, because sometimes it's like 
you know, that pressure is on disability with regards to being able to just, you know, change things, change procedures, you know, you know, at a very short notice and being being calm under pressure. It was but it's exciting at the same time. It was exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was exciting. And you know, being able to actually be there to provide a service, you know, to help to you know to be able to contain and ensure that people are tested in a timely manner so that measures could be put in place to um, manage people that are, if they were to test positive effective management you know being able to provide the results on time to the doctors and to the hospitals that's an interesting perspective actually the that you said it you know it was an exciting time because i mean this is a historical event we should we hopefully we'll never have to experience something like this ever again but but to be a part of that and to be helping as many patients as you did and and you are yeah that's that's exciting and and it's got to feel rewarding too i think yeah definitely i mean even though of course there are times when you're like oh my god you know you have this um concern for yourself but you feel like you know what this is the (laughs) this is the career i'm in you know let's let's go all in and you know, of course, uh, safety measures are in place to ensure that we are safe and then we're able to carry out our work, of course. Now, you mentioned the word resilience a little bit earlier, and you actually recently wrote an article for the Pathologist magazine about resilience in the laboratory. So I'm curious, when I read that, I thought, I wonder if is your experience in virology during a pandemic that inspired uh, you to write this article would that would that be true um that would be true partly and um you know when i think of the word resilience that has been i think it has to do with my experiences through my career to date because i mean it hasn't been an easy journey I, I will tell you that it has come with its challenges and you know it was just one day because I'm, I'm always constantly thinking and i always like to write about issues that actually affect us as scientists or as healthcare scientists. So I so when I thought I sat down and I said, you know what, what actually kept you going? Apart from the fact that you have support, you know, f- having support from the family, from the team or the organization that you work with, that may it makes a lot of difference. But you know, personally, like how was I able to to survive, you know, and, and overcome all these challenges? And then that word just, you know, jumped out at me like resilience. So I went out, I went out and just read about it and I thought, oh, you know what, I should write, this is exactly what is going on right now. This is a skill, you know, that we're actually using now with regards to the pandemic and how we're able to just go on in the face of it. You know, a lot of us, we lost dear ones and, um, you know, it's a, it's a challenging and trying times, but what kept us going? So that was where that came from. And I thought definitely resilience, you know, like, flexibility you know being being able to it's unbreakable basically you know regardless of what you go through yeah it doesn't mean that it was easy it doesn't mean that there were no disappointments but it's just the ability to just bounce back and say okay it's a it's a lesson learned what 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 have you learned from this what can we do better okay maybe let's try a different approach yeah Mm -hmm. that was and, and i think you know what's funny about it and um amazing is that this word is coming out more when you know i'm when i'm when i go online now i see a lot about resilience they're talking about oh you know resilience in service resilience in this and i said oh wow that's a timely topic that i wrote about so yeah yeah. 
I think probably for everyone after an entire year of of all of this, yeah, resilience is uh, is, is something that I think we all need. You know, what are can you kind of give like one or two? What are some like practical ways we can those of us in the lab sort of develop resilience? Um, let's see. I would so taking from my experience and how I've applied that resiliency is, for instance, when I come against like how do you say setbacks you know okay we're not yeah so setback that can actually you know it's it's like a confidence killer you know it it dampens your confidence and you're thinking how do i how do i cope what do i do especially if you don't have the right support system so with people in the lab as you can know the pressure is (laughs) it's immense you know it's you can't even imagine at times because we're dealing with patient samples here. Whilst we're not patient-facing, the, the samples that we're dealing with, we can't afford to get anything wrong. And you can just imagine that pressure of thinking, this has to be right. I have to get this right. So just, just being able to, you know, calm yourself down, you know, think about, okay, what it is that I'm doing. Okay, I just need to focus and then just concentrate on one thing at a time. So that's one thing, you know, especially when you're under pressure, knowing when to ask for help. Because at times we're like, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this myself. And then sometimes it's not actually working out. So you need to learn to to seek, you know, to ask for help, especially when you're being given tasks or you know, activities that you're like, you know what, this is above me, I can't do this, you know, be, be able to speak up. And I think one other thing is communication. You have to be able to, com- you can't keep your feelings in, hoping that, oh yeah, you'll get better, you'll get better, because you have to think of your mental health state. If you're not in the right state of mind, definitely it's going to affect your, how effective you are, your performance, how optimally you're able to perform at your job. So definitely that communication line had to be open for you to say, you know what, I think I just need a bit of a timeout. You ask for help. And then also knowing like you need support as well and take a lot of rest is so important because sometimes we overwork ourselves. Is that guilt trip that we go through. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to think about yourself as well, because if you're not okay, then it will affect the work that you do. So, and then just, and I'll just say to, you know, scientists out there, healthcare scientists, anybody that is, you know, involved within the healthcare pathology and laboratory medicine as a whole, that always think, think about yourself because when you're okay, then yes, you will give, you, you will give a, a, an expected, a better outcome for your patient because then you're able to be at your best. That's very good advice. I'm going to uh, link to that article in the show notes. In fact, You've got, I think, two other articles that were in the pathologist previously, so I'll link those as well because they're all really good. And since we're talking about the pathologist, we should mention that you were uh, named to the pathologist power list in two, 2019 mm-hmm. uh, as one of the trailblazers. Yeah. So, yeah, so congratulations on that. Thank you. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Bami Farinray. We'll be right back. You've heard me talk about LabVine before, and this is an online learning platform for laboratory professionals where you can earn continuing education credit. And these are accredited by the Society of Medical Laboratory Technology of South Africa, as well as PACE in the U.S. and the Royal College of Pathologists in the U.K. I want to tell you about a new feature available on LabVine called the Conf Lab. 
This is an opportunity for laboratory thought leaders, subject matter experts, and consultants to share their expertise with other lab professionals. And you can follow the link in the show notes to apply to be a ConfLab expert. Dress a Med has been designing and manufacturing high-quality scrubs since 1980. The prices are affordable, the shipping is very fast, and the scrubs have lots of pockets, which I really like. I actually have several sets of these myself. So check out Dress a Med by using the link in the show notes. You can sign up for their loyalty program for free and earn special offers and discounts. Now back to Bami Farnray on the People of Pathology podcast. Now, I want to talk about your activity in promoting STEM careers to young people, because you're, you're very active in this role. And one of the organizations you work with is called Inspiring the Future. Mm -hmm. So tell me about this organization. How did you get involved with it? So this organization, you could say, like, speaks for itself, Inspiring the Future. I think it, I got to join the organization because I was thinking in what way can I actually contribute to my community? Because I definitely, and it was born out of, me looking for role models i can tell you when i you know during my days like at the beginning of my career there wasn't many people to talk to there was no mentors there were no role models that i could actually relate with you know so it, it made it a bit difficult with regards to making that decision as to okay which which discipline do i go to most of the thing you know the the decisions that were made were just like one hour of probably reading and just going with your instincts more or less. So I thought, you know, how can I actually change this? They say, if you want to change, let it change start with you. So I decided I want to be a change agent for what I didn't see or what I didn't, um, I wasn't able to get help with that I would like to help others. That was why I joined this. And I mean, like I said, the name of the organization, Inspiring the Future, is just what it is. In inspiring the future generation of scientists, not just scientists, you know, of young people out there that haven't made up their mind with regards to what careers they can go into. And as we know, STEM careers is not just science alone, you know, the name speaks for itself, technology, um, engineering, mathematics, and you can imagine the wealth of, of careers that are possible in this within this um discipline of um, of stem so that was how i was able to join and then as a result of joining i've been speaking at schools and colleges even even um, primary schools you'd be amazed how you know this oh, wow. yeah like they say catch them young and um the memory that i have is just it's just something that you can't you can't buy it. You can't buy it, especially for those young ones that they, they their minds are still developing. I remember one of my um, sessions, like, you know, when I go into schools to speak with up until like nursery age kids, you know, they're like three, five year olds, you know. Imagine having to, if you're able to then describe what I do to them, you know, my role as a, as a scientist in the lab. It's amazing the, the reaction, the excitement that you get from them when I show them what I do. You know, I take some props for them to see. And it's just really good because then you start asking them, they're like, oh, I want to be a scientist. And funny enough, some of them, even though they, they don't have an understanding of what career is yet, they have an idea. They might say to you, oh, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a nurse. Even though they don't know the pathway yet, at least they're exposed. Moving on from there, those in secondary school and colleges, you're able to actually inform them, you know, make resources available to them to make informed decisions. 
so that they don't just finish and they're looking like, oh, what do I do? And it's just like being there, being visible and saying, you know what, if I can do it. And I always like to tell my story. You know, I said earlier on when we started about how I failed. It's not everybody that's going to get A's. You know, it's not everybody that's going to get scholarships. Right. So it's always good when they hear stories of the people that, that have done it, that's been there, that's like, you know what, I failed, but it wasn't the end of the world. I didn't plan to fail, but it just happened. But I didn't let that stop me, you know. I mean, look at me today. Who could imagine, like, I was actually told, and I would never forget that. You know, words stay with us for life. So, you know, I always remember when that lecturer told me, he said, no, nah, you failed. Like, I literally failed all the A-level, all my subjects. I didn't even get anyone that could let me go into my second year. She said, I don't think you should continue in science. And look where I am today as an operational lead, you know. It wasn't by my doing, of course, of his support. And, and I just thank God for how far I've come, really. And with the Inspiring the Future as well, uh, the work I've been doing with them uh, as part of the 10th year anniversary, they used my story as a case study that was actually displayed and people were reading. It was, it was exciting, you know. Oh, it's, yeah. it's rewarding. So they had a story that it was exhibited just for them to just say about the individual, the volunteers, like, you know, how we, you know, go the extra mile to encourage the future. And not just the future generation, even some some of my colleagues as well, that they're thinking, how do you do it? It's amazing because you're like, oh, I can't do it. And, you know, while I was doing all this, you know, doing my MSc, my higher specialist, my specialist portfolio, and at the same time working full time. And I remember when I was in my MSc, I was I was heavily pregnant. I was like, wow, you know, it's it's that inspiration, you know. And then if you're able to tell your story and influence others, that's you know that's job done. Right. It's really it's really good if people can see your story and say, I can do this, you know, and give them a sense of hope. No, you're also a. Uh a STEM ambassador for women in science and engineering. Yes. Which, which sounds like that's a similar role. So what type of work do you do in, in that role? So in this role as a um, wise STEM ambassador, it's, um, it's similar because we are encouraging younger generations to, to consider STEM as a career, but more so it's um, geared towards girls, encouraging girls as you know, sometimes you, you know, a lot of girls, they tend to shy away from science and they feel, oh, yeah. science is not for me or I'd rather go and do something else, my skills. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are, there are girls out there that are, you know, bona fide for, um, for science, but there's some of them, it might be due to their background, to their upbringing and exposure, they might feel, and, and this individuals they might be they they might be like they do they're doing really good in science but because they don't know how to go about it so or what to do or which career to go into even though they you know because it's something um learning or studying science subjects is another thing knowing where that leads you know with regards to career so with um stem with the Y stem uh, initiative is encouraging girls into STEM. And so we, as a, as a volunteer, we there was a training that I went on. When I did that training, it was called People Like Me. And that name speaks for itself, People Like Me. You know, when if people, if, if you can see students and they can identify with, let's say, someone from a BAME um, background, and they say, oh, you as a woman in STEM, actually, 
I can do it as well. If you can do it, if you come this far, just being able to relate. So that's what it's that um, it's all about. And how did I even join this? It was because then in back in 2016, there was this uh, initiative that came out. Um, it's called Wise Fellowship Program. And what they wanted to do was to develop um, four women that are early in their career and they give them this best spoke 12 month program for them um, as a fellow and then you know where they're mentored they go through they do projects and things like that so I applied for that pro for that program I was shortlisted for the interview but I wasn't you know selected as the last four for the fellow but I mean just even being selected for the interview that was <laughs> and I mean when it when it gave me feedback I was like wow that's amazing and I was it was just early on like I said it was still early in in my um career journey and then so that was then I said to me you know what even though we government shortlisted your application was good your interview was good we would would you consider this? So that was how I became a uh, STEM member. And since then, it's the same thing with the Inspiring the Future, been going into schools and been, I've been using this. So there's this training that they, um, gave, that they gave us. I've been using that training. So the training, what it does is considering personalities. You know, sometimes we just, we think something as hobbies. So using person personalized words. So some people that think that have this thing, okay, I think I could be an entrepreneur. I think, you know, I, I like problem solving. I have um, good communication skills. I know how to convince people. So from that, they then use words and then they, they, they tailor the sort of career they could go into. So for somebody that likes talking or that likes to encourage people or for somebody that likes to look after people, then they will say, okay, you could consider a career in healthcare. You see, so they, it, it's just a way to get students thinking about careers that is tailored to their personality. And that, that way it makes it more enjoyable and it gives them more opportunities because, you know, when we list all these words, you can be more than one of them. So that means your career bank is, is quite a lot. You have a lot of options to pick from. And as a result of being a, a, a wise member as well, um, one of my story was featured with these um, Terra Beans. They were doing this Terra Beans case study okay. in collaboration with the with Wise um, campaign. And um, yeah, so they featured it. So it's like a, a mini book that's written for um, for science. So they use it in schools as uh, resources. Oh wow, that's great! Yeah. Like, it sounds like you know you mentioned earlier how there weren't really mentors around at, at the time and now it sounds like you're you're making sure that doesn't happen to the next generation of girls yes. which which is is great now back into the laboratory then you're a uh it's called a cpd officer mm. yeah. uh, so that's okay can you explain what that is yeah so that is continuous professional development okay. so basically it's not CPD. so as as a um as you can see from from when we've been uh, discussing, I tend to do a lot of like activities that are not necessarily lab based, just to just research, reading, and just collaborating, and also doing things, getting involved within the community to mm -hmm. to, to learn more, to and then to share skills and knowledge and our, my expertise as well. So, uh, me being a CPD officer for my professional body, the IBMS, was because. <laughs> I think it was um, I think probably 
around about back in 2010 or 2011 um, when I was doing one of my portfolios and then I had to record a list of my activities and then I was thinking, you know, what way could I do it? Which is a requirement for every any professional to actually keep a record of their CPD activity that they've been doing. And they actually do audits, like, you know, random audit. They could call you up and say, okay, what have you been up to? Aside from you just working in the lab, what else have you been involved with with regards to expedite your learning? So, and then we didn't have anything called CPD officer then in the lab. Even though at times we do seminars, which is like once in a while with our consultants and our medics where they share case study with us just to give us an overview of what's been going on. So linking the laboratory to frontline to the actual wards and, you know, the hospital itself. So I volunteered myself. I read up about it and say, OK, what is the requirement? And then I just you know volunteered to be one. And then since then, what I've been doing is just I, I did um, arrange like CPD sessions. So that means like seminars during lunchtime seminars and just arranging for speakers to come in. Or it might even be ourselves, uh, one of our senior member of staff to talk to us about maybe one particular aspect of the service or maybe there's a new technique that's come out in the profession that we, we we haven't known about because we we're always in the lab and because being in the lab sometimes you don't get to know a lot of what's going on outside you just there doing right. work and all that so that was what and since then it has been really good because we were able to give our CP, you know we were rewarded in the sense that I was giving our CPD certificates they used to give them and even um, our professional body, they have this CPD scheme where you complete like diplomas and I've been able to complete three diplomas. So that's like how much activities I've been getting myself involved with. It involves probably if you go for training, if you're learning new skills or technique. And then you just speak about it. And it, it encourages the team as well because you're not just working. That's our time to relax and talk about, you know, what's going on well. How can we improve ourselves? How can we improve the service? So that's my role as a CPD officer. You certainly keep yourself busy with all these extra extra activities. So that's, that's great. Thank you. What do you think the future of virology will look like? What I'm trying to get at is, do you think the COVID-19 pandemic will change the field or will it have a permanent effect on, on the field? Um, I think the future of virology is bright. So, I mean, virology is like a fast emerging key discipline within modern healthcare, like, you know, pathology and laboratory medicine. And it's presently right. at the forefront of diagnostic advances due to SARS-CoV-2, which is, you know, is def- the future is um, is bright. I can say, you know, certainty that virology in this in in this era will continue to prosper, and this is more attributed to like, you know, driver forces like uh, technology development, advancement development within the discipline itself, public health, you know, the changing demographics for uh, public health information processes. There's a lot of data that's available. You know, and of course, people are curious now, you know, especially with this COVID, it got a lot of people. People are, how do you say, researching all the time. They want to know more. Okay, what is this? What is it about this COVID-19? Where did it come from? You know, how do we protect ourselves from me? So it's a hot topic everywhere you go. That is what it is. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a hot topic that is, is here to stay for a while. And the reason why I said that is because 
they will of course continue to train the next generation of scientists for us to be able to be able to undertake research you know um, with more diverse course of course training opportunities especially involving interdisciplinary collaboration and uh, as you know with the COVID-19 it was it brought um, biology in the limelight because of course it's a virus so we are the one that looks after you know, the study of virus and also diagnostic diagnosis viral infections as well for instance, you know, being able to do these diagnostic tests it allows the clinicians to ascertain if a patient is indeed infected with COVID-19. And this assays is performed by virologists. As a result, we as virologists were able to learn from the doctors or clinicians how the virus impacts the human um, body. So with this ongoing development, you know, and new laboratory techniques, you can imagine how quickly they had to come up with a test for us to be able to actually test the virus and be able to give results to patients so that they can infection control you know, measures in place for them to be able to contain and then treat people. The ongoing remarkable developments that we have with regards to new lab techniques, antiviral drugs, the vaccine, and of course, you know, viruses that keep emerging. Virology is constantly evolving. <laughs> is both is intellectually challenging and exciting at the same time. I remember when I started <laughs> my career in in biomedical science, we used to do like um, they call it like cell culture. We used to do traditional methods, you know, of um, for diagnosis. Can you imagine back in the days if you want to do like for instance, you want to look for infections like the enterovirus, you know, meningitis and things like that. It takes literally like up to about 21 days before you're even able to type, you know, the, the techniques that we were using then, we use EM to read um, and tip for enteric um, viruses to look for infections in, in the stool sample of patients. It took time. And looking back, that how many years ago was that? To this stage, you know, a lot has changed. A lot of our processes and our testings, they're like automated, and, and you can imagine that advancement, the, you know, thanks to technology. And also we have, uh, you know, collaborations with other lab disciplines in order to be able to understand the theology, pathogenesis and testing of other samples as well. Because when the testing for COVID samples initially started, they were only using sw um, swabs and you know, saliva samples. But now they, they, I mean, no, they were only using swabs now, they're able to, which is the nose and throat. But now they're doing saliva testing, they, they're able to test blood. And then, as you, as you know, soon there will be, and, and I know that biochemistry and immunology as well, they're carrying out research for them to be able to start testing and diagnosing COVID. So COVID is, while we're praying that, you know, people are not infected with it anymore and people are getting better, the study to better understand, you know, uh, COVID-19 as a virus and as an infection will continue definitely into the um, future. It certainly has enhanced the visibility of the field. And that that might turn out to be, or it is turning out to be a good thing, at least that part of it. Bami, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, telling your story. Uh, it's It's been very interesting. So uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Great big thanks to Bami Farnray. I've got a trailer for you right now of my interview with Dr. Drusilla Roberts. You uh, specialize in perinatal pathology. I wanted to know, could you tell me how you got interested in that specialty? Well, I started out my training in OBGYN and I'll never forget the day that I delivered 
um, a monochorionic twin gestation where one of oh. the twins was a, um, a cardiac twin. Oh, and it wow. was so traumatic for me and for the family. And all I wanted to do was to be able to explain to the family what happened and what the chances of it happening again were. Right. And this was about the same time as the Hox gene story came out about pattern formation. And it was a very exciting time in developmental biology. And um, at the time, I thought the only place where I could really address these questions was as a pathologist and not as an obstetrician. So I switched to anatomic pathology and okay. um, specialized. I kind of focused in perinatal pathology from the start. You can hear more from Dr. Roberts in episode number nine. Bami mentioned a couple of times the word perseverance, and this is something that she's shown throughout her own career. She didn't let setbacks derail what she wanted to do. She kept going. She would persevere. And now she's constantly learning new things and adding to her skills and knowledge. And then she takes that experience and she's trying to inspire the next generation of young people to explore careers in the lab. So I found this very inspiring. I'll have links in the show notes to everything we talked about today, including uh, not only the articles that Bami has written herself, but some that have been written about her. As always, don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter at People of Path or connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you like this episode and you know someone who might be interested in a STEM career and you think this might inspire them, please share the episode with them. And together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.